0: You know, a number of years ago, not, I mean, not terribly long ago, seven years ago, I was a youth minister, and we started a deal even before, I guess 14 years ago now, we started a deal. Um, we called it D-groups, where we would meet in homes on Sunday evenings, and I'd teach a lesson. Typically, we would go verse by verse through different passages of Scripture, um, We would do, I mean, we did Romans one time, we've done Revelation, which we've done here before, actually last spring we did Revelation, Um, and we do various things, but several times throughout the year with the kids, the students, youth, uh, we would do what we called Question Night, kind of what we are doing with that sermon series coming up, where we didn't have an agenda, we just let the students come and ask any question they had, we said about anything, which you can imagine got pretty wild. Uh, but no matter where the youth, uh, we, we did two. We did one with 6th uh, through 8th grade. And then after that, I would travel to the other house, and we did one with ninth through 12th grade. Uh, and the questions were, I mean, just way out of left field sometimes. Um, inevitably, in the high school group, there would be one about tattoos and what God thinks about tattoos. And they didn't really know, want to know what God thought about tattoos, they just really wanted to take ammunition back to their parents <laughs> and use to get one. Um, there, was a, there, there were always, every single time we did this, we did it at least twice a year, there was always a question in every group about dinosaurs, uh, why they were created, where they are, uh, what happened to them. Um, you know, we'd get into the minutia of science and, and talk about a variety of things. And then I blew their mind one time. God gave me this just to mess with them. And sometimes you teachers know, you just got to mess with the youth a little bit. Um, I said, "Well, what if God created the Earth with the dinosaurs already in the ground?" And their eyes got, "You think he did that?" <laughs> I said, "I don't know, but what if he did?" <laughs> um, I'm not saying he did that. Don't, 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 don't give me that on Facebook. I'm not saying he did that. Um, but they always asked about dinosaurs and they always asked about angels. Those are two that they always had every single time uh, about dinosaurs and angels. And the thing about these nights, these question nights, is nothing was off limits. They talked to ask about creation. They would ask about predestination. They'd ask about verses of the Bible that were really hard to just understand or apply to your life. And the thing about hard things of the Bible, which, you know, what do you do with hard things of the Bible? There's, there's great church fathers. Who, who came across difficult things to understand or difficult things that they didn't want to apply to their lives and they just tore the pages out of their Bibles because they didn't want to have to think about it. I don't think you can do that, because it's not up to us what God puts in His Scripture. So what do you do with hard parts of the Bible? Well, you, you go with them and you apply them to your life, even if they're hard, even if they're difficult, even if they fly in the face of culture. Even if they fly in the face of the way you were brought up. Because scripture is all that matters. And that's something that Jesus digs at here. What do you do with the hard part? He, he, he presents a difficult situation to some people, knowing that they're going to take it the wrong way. And he doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't water it down. He doesn't try to... Prep the people and make it easier to receive. He just lays it out and says, This is it. They can accept it or not. That's where we are in John chapter 6. John chapter 6. It's on page 892, if you can use a Bible on the pew rack there. Um, It's also going to be on the screens, or if you're watching online, it's going to be on the screen right below me there. You can see it there. John chapter 6, where we've been for these last few weeks. You know, John, in this section of the book of John, Jesus had the day before this teaching, he had fed the 5,000. He had taught all day long. At the end of the day, he did the miracle, fed the 5,000. Then he, dis, he sent the disciples off across the lake, and he went up on the mountain to pray. A storm came up to the disciples in the middle of the night. Jesus came to them walking on the water. And then as soon as he stepped in the boat, what John tells us, as soon as Jesus got in the boat, the boat was all of a sudden to the other side of the sea. And so they got there, they got out of the boat, and the crowd from the uh, uh, feeding the 5,000 miracle walked around to where they were and started asking him questions because they want more food. Jesus fed them the day before. They want more food today. They show up, and Jesus starts giving this, this teaching about kind of using food as an illustration. And he's been talking up until this point where we're going to be today. We're going to start down in verse 41. He's been telling them, he says, you want food that will, you know, You'll eat and you'll feel satisfied for a moment and then you'll be hungry in a few hours. He says, I'm going to give you some spiritual food that will last forever. And he tells them, they're they're not picking it up at first, He, he ends up telling them, he says, I am that food. And what he says, actually it's in verse 35, I believe, he says that coming and believing is what I'm saying, that if you come and eat and drink, that is this, that's what I'm talking about, is coming and believing, is coming and eating and drinking. He says it's an analogy, it's a comparison here. It, it, it's uh, that eating and drinking is, what Jesus is saying, is coming and believing, because they weren't picking up his verbiage. <clears throat> they thought he was still talking about physical food, and he says, no, I am the bread of life, you come and eat and drink, that's coming and believing in me, okay? So that's what he tells them, but they're still not picking up on that. And so look at verse 41, this is what that happens. It says, the Jews grumbled about him. They were complaining. It was a hard thing to receive. And even though he told them, guys, I'm not talking about eating people. <laughs> I'm talking about believing. They're not getting it. He's, and so they're grumbling, they're complaining. And, and this is a first century thing, we don't do that anymore here in 21st century American church, right? We don't grumble and complain anymore. That was back then. We're, we're, we're way beyond that now. And, uh, and so the people are grumbling about him, Jesus, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. He said that God sent him so they would believe in him. And so they're having a hard time with this. Look at verse 42. So they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, how does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And so saying, we know his mother. And they assume Joseph was his father, because Jesus was raised in their house, even though God was his father. And saying, we know where he came from. We know everything about him. What does he mean he came from heaven? We, they don't understand God's plan in, in sending Jesus is something beyond their comprehension. And so the people couldn't accept God's plan because they couldn't understand it. They couldn't understand it, and because they couldn't understand it, they tried to rationally list the reasons that what Jesus was saying could not be God's plan. This can't be God's plan to him to come and us to believe in him because we know his mother. We, we know his father. He's from Nazareth of all places. This cannot be God's plan because it makes no sense whatsoever to us. Again, that's a first century thing. We don't do that anymore. You know, say, that can't be God's plan because it doesn't make any sense. You know, but the thing about it is, and I'm being, obviously, I'm joking. I mean, I do that all the time, too. We say, I'm trying to wrap my head around what God's trying to do in this moment, and it doesn't make any sense. So because it doesn't make any sense, it cannot be God's plan, and then I will make a list of the reasons it can't be God's plan, when all along, it's exactly what God had planned. You see, my understanding, though, is in no way a prerequisite for God's plan. God isn't waiting for me to understand what he's doing before he's going to do it. He's going to do it whether I understand it or not. And so Jesus is trying to explain this. And his incredible patience throughout this passage, it blows my mind. Um, Far more patient than I would have been. I mean, he says it over and over again to them about I am the bread of life. Just believe in me It's what I'm saying. I'm not saying eat people. I'm saying believe. And he keeps using the language back and forth uh, of his illustration But they still don't grab it, and they want to understand what God's plan really is here. But in truth, if I were to understand the fullness of God's plan, I would not need to trust him. If I knew all the ins and outs of what God had planned, I would not need to have faith in him. If he laid out everything in front of me, then I would not need to trust him tomorrow because I already know what's going to happen. But that's not the way God operates. You've heard me say it before. He doesn't give you step 99 when you're on step 2. He's going to give you step 3. And you've got to walk through it before you get there. Once you get to step 3, He's going to give you step 4. Once you get step 4, He'll give you step 5. He's not going to lay it all out and give you everything. Because then, if, if you knew it all, you wouldn't need Him. And God is never going to give you a life where you don't need Him. Ever. But in truth don't we often the way we pray doesn't reflect us wanting a life where we don't need him we try to pray god's influence out of our lives we wouldn't say it but that's the way we operate sometimes god give me an easy life that's perfect and there's no problems i had somebody in the office just a few weeks ago say when are we going to stop having problems i said well when we get to heaven (laughs) like as long as you're here i hate to break it to you you know she she had listed out like seven things and they were some of them were bad health things and deaths and she goes, and she just said, when is it just going to stop? And I said, well, honestly, when you get to heaven, that's when it's going to stop. <laughs> because then you won't be in this sinful, broken world anymore. But you'll be somewhere where everything is perfect. But God's plan operates outside of my understanding. My participation in God's plan needs my trust, not my Understanding. My participation in what God has planned for my life and those around me, my participation in God's plan needs my trust, not my understanding. I need to trust that God knows what he's doing more than I do. That God is God, that God is almighty, that God is is all-knowing, he is all-powerful, that he is the one who orchestrated his plan. And so I need to trust in his plan, not understand it. Because what happens there, if I understood the fullness of God's plan, then really God's plan would be limited to my own ability, to my own capacity, to my own understanding, or even my own imagination. If I understood the fullness of God's plan, then God's plan would be limited to what my brain can comprehend. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to limit God. Because as Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 3, God will do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Paul didn't write, God will do everything imaginable that you can come up with. No. Because what if the rule was, God will do everything that I can come up with, and you're far more imaginative imaginative than I am, but if if God's plan is limited to what I can come up with... then God's plan is severely limited to his creation. And God cannot be limited to what he created. God can only be limited by something that's greater than him, and there is nothing greater than God. There is nothing. And so God's plan will not be limited by my own understanding, even if I try to put those confines on it. You see, when I try to limit God's plan to my understanding, I'm conforming my understanding of God to my own likeness rather than transforming my spirit to God's likeness. I'm trying to fit God into my understanding box and say, God, the only way that I'm going to follow your plan is if I completely understand every piece of it, and then I will participate in it. But that's not the way God operates. He doesn't need my understanding, he just needs my trust. Will I follow him with the next step? Will I follow him with the next step? Will I follow with what's coming? I mean, when when God told Joshua to lead the Israelites around Jericho for seven days, he didn't tell Joshua till the night before what was going to happen. And even then, if you go back and read it, Joshua doesn't tell the Israelites. All he told them was, God said, we're going to walk around the city. And then come day seven, we're going to yell real loud. He didn't even tell them when they yelled that the walls were going to come down. He just told them to yell. They just had to trust that God knew what he was doing. And God has proved faithful every single time. Not only in scripture, which he has, but in each one of our lives. And that's the fact that you're still here. He's proved faithful. And God will always be faithful trustworthy, worthy of our trust. And so we should trust that he knows what he's doing. What's the mantra that we've said over and over and over and over and over and over over again these last seven years? That God is in control. God has a plan. God's plan is good. God is in control. God has a plan. God's plan is good. I don't have to understand what his plan is. I just have to trust it. And these people that Jesus is talking to here in John chapter 6 can't quite wrap their head around what Jesus is giving them. They want to understand God's plan, and it's hard for them to do that. Look at verse 43. So they're grumbling. Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So Jesus says, stop grumbling among yourselves. You're not going to believe this until it's time for you to believe. So you have the opportunity to believe. Which, it's interesting the words he uses here. Uh, He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now the reason those words are important is because uh, in in another message to some people in John chapter 12, Jesus said that I will draw all people to myself. Which is interesting. He says in John 12, I will draw all people to myself. That's John 12, 32. I will draw all people to myself. To myself, which lines right up with something Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. uh, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, God wills all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so, if that's God's plan, that everyone would come to believe, Jesus is laying it to these people God wants you to believe, you just got to come and believe. Words he already said before we got to this section, back up in verse 35. You got to come and believe. Verse 45, Jesus said, It's written in the prophets. And they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. He's quoting from Isaiah 54. All that they will all be taught by God. They will all be drawn by God. They will all uh, uh, have the opportunity to come into God's plan. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. That's the only way we can get to the Father is through Jesus. Verse 46. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. So he's, he's laying it out. He's already said it several times earlier in the passage. You come and believe. Come and... Believe, and he's, he's saying again, come and believe and you will receive eternal life. When he said they, your fathers, the, the Israelites, when they were wandering around in the wilderness and God provided manna every morning for them to come out and gather and eat, he said, God gave your ancestors food every single day and they ate it and they survived and they lived and great, but they had to come back the next day and get more food. He's said, I, God's giving you food, spiritual food to eat, to believe so that you will live forever. And so they're hearing this. But they had been taught by their rabbis and teachers of the day that because they were Jews, they would have eternal life. It had nothing to do with belief. They had been taught because of who they were that eternal life would be granted to them. And here's the Son of God saying, no, that's wrong. That's not even what Scripture says. And he quotes from Isaiah. That's not even what Scripture says. He says, you've been taught wrong. You come and believe, and you have eternal life. Verse 51, says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. Now, remember, I told you already, back in verse 35, he said, eating the bread is believing in Jesus. And so here he's going back to his illustration. I am the living bread. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. So if anyone believes, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So if you believe, you will live forever. If you eat the bread, if you believe, you will live forever. Verse 52. Then the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They still didn't get it. He's telling them again, over and over and over and over and over and over and over. But they're hung up on this point. How can this man give us his flesh? We're not going to eat him. And Jesus just said, it's not about eating people. It's about believing, then receiving eternal life. But I want to point something out interesting there in verse 52. That word disputed, disputed. It means seriously intense and bitter conflict, almost to the point of physical fighting. So they were disputing among themselves. Earlier they were all grumbling, they were complaining. And at this point, it seems as though Jesus has some in the crowd who are convinced And some in the crowd, not so much. And they get to this issue here in verse 52, and they're coming to the point of blows over this. And they're fighting and arguing. Again, first century, we don't do that anymore. We don't yell and complain at each other. We're beyond that in today's church. But back then, they were just, just having at each other. This was first century Twitter. I mean, they're just going at it here. Verse 53, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, (laughs) you have no life in you. Jesus really cranks up the controversy with that one. He knew they were having trouble understanding. He knew they were not letting go of his illustration. And so he doubles down on his illustration this time, and he puts blood in there, which Jews knew was against the law, the Jewish law. But again, he's already laid it out. Like I told you, verse 35, it's about coming and believing. It's not actually physically eating somebody and physically drinking somebody's blood. He's giving us a, a, a preview of the Last Supper. He's saying, unless you eat the uh, flesh of the Son of Man, drink his blood, you have no life in you. You will not receive eternal life. So he, he just really lays out the illustration again. And So if the people didn't have a problem before, they definitely have a problem now. They, you know, sometimes, and this is with all of us, but people, if you look for a problem, you're going to find it. If you're looking for a reason not to believe, you're going to find a problem. You're going to look for a reason not to believe. I mean, I've told you a story about a w- young lady who came to our church one time, and she made a deal with God in the parking lot. If I walk in the door and I don't see one person I know, by the time I take five steps in the building, I'm leaving. So she opened the door, and there was her boss standing right in front of her before she even took one step in the building. People are always looking for a reason not to follow Jesus, not to follow Jesus. We, we do this, even people who follow Jesus. We're looking for reasons not to tell somebody about Jesus. We're looking for reasons you know, not to forgive somebody. We're looking for reasons not to give in to what God has for us to do. And Jesus isn't going to give us a way out. He wants us to forgive. He wants us to come to him, even if it's difficult, even if it's hard to grasp. And so Jesus lays this out to the people. He says, I've already told you people it's about believing, but here it is. You have to eat the flesh. You have to drink the blood. Otherwise, you have no eternal life. Look at the next verse, 54. (laughs) Again, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, this, this wording is very important because this wording is a mirror image of verse 40 when he said, Everyone who looks on the sun and believes in him, I will raise him up on the last day. So again, what he's already said, he now says, again, parallel what he's saying here using the exact same language. Whereas in verse 40, he said it's coming and believing. Here he says it's eating and drinking. So again, eating and drinking is coming and believing. But the people are looking for a reason not to follow Jesus. And so they take this illustration and they run with it. Uh, Look at verse 55. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread your fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. So it wasn't just like out in the street or on the side of a mountain. He walked into church and taught this stuff. When many of his disciples heard it, (laughs) many of his disciples, these weren't just random Jews. And he's not talking about the 12 Disciples, the 12 apostles here. This is just other people who were following him. When many of his disciples, people who were following him, heard this, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? This is a hard saying. This is a severe, this is something that's really demanding on our lives. That's what that word literally means hard. This is a hard, demanding saying that will change our behavior. That's what that literally means. So even though they were looking for a reason not to believe, we can see in their description there, they did grasp what he was saying, that their behavior would have to change, how they, were going, how they were living, how they were operating would have to change if they were to live according to this line of teaching. They'd listened to Jesus teach before, the day before, receiving the, the feeding of the 5,000. They had listened to teach, Jesus teach all day long, and they didn't have this discussion, this issue, this grumbling problem that they had. But now as they get into the meat and potatoes of this, they're having great difficulty with it. What do you mean, Jesus? You want to change my life? What do you mean, Jesus? You want me to live according to what you're telling me to live? Jesus, this is a hard saying. This is difficult, Jesus. I just wanted you to feed me. I just wanted you to grant me eternal life and not have to deal with any of this other stuff, Jesus. I don't want to have to do with any of that. I don't want to have to live according to any, I want to live according to me. I want to do what I want. I don't want to you know, have to follow God. Jesus, just give me a free pass and let me go on my way. And so they say, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? The thing is, though, many of us will hear Scripture read or we will read Scripture, and we'll come to hard and difficult things, and sometimes we'll just pass right over them and not deal with them. And we'll go on to the next thing, because that's, that's too hard to deal with. Jesus, that... that you mean I gotta I gotta forgive that person who I don't want to forgive? You mean I gotta move on and offer grace to every single person? Jesus? You mean I I've gotta you know. Uh, uh keep sex reserved for marriage? You mean I, I've, I've got to to, to, to to stop doing the thing that I like to do on Saturday nights? You mean I've got to stop watching that thing and binge watching that one show, Jesus? You mean I've got to stop those words coming out of my mouth? You mean, Jesus, I've got to stop complaining and grumbling about other Christians to other Christians? You mean I've got to stop gossiping, Jesus? You mean I've got to be kind to one another, Jesus? You mean i got to do all that? That's too hard that's a hard saying who can listen to the i'll take the jesus giving me salvation part but the other stuff i don't want to to deal with so i'm just going to move back on to the jesus giving me salvation thing and you know asking him to bless my meal kind of thing and just move on from there And, and it's just too hard to get into all that stuff but hearing only matters when it's followed by application hearing only matters when it's followed by obedience Hearing only matters when we do what we've heard. I mean, we can read Scripture all day long, but if we're just reading it or we're just hearing about it and not applying it to our lives, it's doing us zero good. I mean, Jesus told his disciples at one point, there's going to be people in my church who come to me and say, Lord, Lord, we knew you. He says, no, you didn't. You didn't know me at all. <laughs> He's going to say, they're going to come to me and say, Lord, Lord. He's saying, get away from me. I never knew you. I don't know if you ever, did any of you ever watch the old um, Left Behind movie with Kirk Cameron? Um, there's one scene in the If you've never seen it, it's worth it for just, just one scene. One of the guys, the rapture, if you don't know the gist, if you didn't read the books back in the 90s, the gist is the rapture happens, Christians are taken, the world has to deal with that. Antichrist rises and the whole deal. Um, but right when the rapture happens, there's a scene in the church at the end of, near the end of the movie where one of the pastors of the church is left behind. And he's having an argument with God in the church. That one scene is worth the whole movie. Even if you've got to buy the movie just to watch that scene, do it this afternoon. But he's having this argument with God and it's this revelation of, it's that very thing Jesus told his disciples. He thought he knew Jesus, but really he just knew about Jesus. He didn't know Jesus. He didn't believe in Jesus. He just went through the motions, you know, put up the front of the Christian life, but he didn't truly believe in Jesus. And he had a moment there, his moment of salvation where everything changed. And now he's living in the great tribulation as a believer in the midst of the great trial and the struggles that are there. Jesus wants everyone to be saved. Wants us all to be saved. But we've got to listen to him. We've got to follow him. It's not just about hearing his words. It's about taking them and applying them to our lives. Even when it's hard. Even when it's difficult. Even when it flies in the face of what everyone around you is doing. Even when it may cost you your job. Even when it may cost you comfort. Even when it may cost you everything that you know. If it's what God has laid out as his plan, we've got to follow it. I had somebody, it was a few weeks ago, we were, uh, I was counseling them in my office, and they, they were asking me about this one thing and, uh, that we had done in our lives. Said, why did you do that? Why did you make that decision? I said, honestly, I don't know. All, I, said, I said, I don't know the results or how it's going to turn out. All I know is God said do it, and I had to do it. It wasn't an option for me. That if God said do it, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it makes you know somebody mad, if God said do it, we got to do it. I mean, here Jesus is making you know hundreds of people upset, and he, we're going to look at it next week. He's there's going to be a big issue about to happen. Big bombs about to drop on the scene here in the midst of Jesus's ministry. That's going to be forever changed because of what we're going to look at next week. But If God said do it, you've got to do it because hearing and not doing is the opposite of what God has. That's ingesting all of this scripture and it doing nothing for you. You can read this scripture 500 times before you're dead and if you don't apply one sentence of it to your life, it means nothing to you. It means nothing to you. You have to take it and use it and apply it. It would be like, you know, like I mentioned earlier, it's it's my son uh, Liam's birthday today. And when it's your birthday in our house, you get to pick all the meals that day. So we ask, okay, what do you want for breakfast? What do you want for lunch? Um, what do you want for dinner? So I told you, he wants hamburgers for dinner. Um, and then he wanted some macaroni for lunch. Um, and so he's going to have some macaroni for lunch. We're trying to teach our, our kids that macaroni is a side dish and not the main dish. Um, it's a process. We're getting there. Um... <laughs> you parents know know the pain. Uh, but for breakfast, he wanted cinnamon rolls. So I made homemade cinnamon rolls yesterday with uh, uh, frosting and icing, and I've got one here. Mm, I think I got some on my nose. Man. If you could smell that. I'll put it in the microphone. Can you smell it? Man, it smells good. You see... Hearing and not doing what God has for you is like smelling a cinnamon roll and not eating it. It doesn't have any effect on your body whatsoever. It doesn't change anything about you. I can smell it all day long. It's not going to do anything to me. It may make me want it more. But it's not going to affect anything nutritionally for me. It doesn't mean anything. It can sit there until it gets moldy and gross and starts to stink. But if I don't take it and ingest it and eat it, it doesn't do anything for me. And that's God's word. We can have it in front of us all day long, and we can read it all day long, but if we don't take it or even using Jesus' own illustration and eat it into our spiritual selves and, in, and, and apply it to our lives, it means nothing to us and does nothing for us. We've got to take it and use it and apply it, even the hard stuff. Think about this. I'm gonna shut that because I'm gonna eat that sucker here in just a minute. (laughs) Man, that smells good. Don't mean to toot my own horn, but it smells good. If you think about Scripture, who in all of Scripture do you think would have had the hardest time obeying Jesus? I think it would have been his brothers. What if Jesus came to you or God came to you and said, hey, your sibling is the savior of the world. Do you have a hard time, you know, buying that? Think about your sibling. Yep. (laughs) We got somebody honest. Yep, we'd have a hard time believing that. I know my sisters, they're going to listen to this later. Y'all would have no hard difficulty believing that, I'm sure. (laughs) They're not here. They could tell you all kinds of stories, but... They would have a hard time believing that. And we see in the life of Jesus, his own siblings did not believe while he was walking on this earth until he rose from the dead. And one of them, James, went on to become the pastor of the Christian church in Jerusalem. Even when great persecution broke out and people's doors are getting knocked in, James, Jesus' brother, is out there in the street telling people about how his brother was the savior of the world because he believed so intensely about that fact. And look what James wrote in James chapter 1, verse 22. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Which is, leave that verse up there a second. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That, word, that phrase, deceiving yourselves, I don't know about you guys, but it really doesn't seem to match the first part. Doers of the word and not hearers only. You know, if you're thinking, okay, they should put a period there. I missed the end of the sentence. Deceiving yourself seems like a different thought. But that word deceiving literally means to deceive by arguments or false reasons. To deceive by arguments or false reasons. You see, to be a hearer of the word and not a doer, we come up with reasons and excuses and uh, 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 problems we see in how we cannot do what he wants us to do and how he wants us to live. Now, doing and, and living according to what God desires us to do is not necessary for salvation. Don't get me wrong. Don't, don't mishear me now. But once we have believed in Jesus, our life begins to change, and, and what we desire begins to change, and we want to follow after Jesus because his plan is best. His plan is good, And so what James is saying there in James chapter 1, be doers of the word, not hearers only, don't deceive yourselves. Don't try to trick yourself or or confuse yourself or, or make a list of pros and cons about why it's better to do this reason instead of what God has for you. Just do what God has for you and don't even make a list. Make it easy. Save some time. Just do what God has for you because hearing and doing is God's plan for your life. Hearing and doing is God's plan for your life. You gotta hear and do. Not just hear, hear and do. I've told the story before about a lady, she's in heaven now, but she knew God's plan for her life was to tell people about Jesus. And so she, she committed her life to that. Every opportunity. She'd go to the restaurant, she would tell the person bringing the food. She would you know, go to the DMV and tell the person behind the counter well, she got to a point and uh, her family didn't live nearby that she had to go into a nursing home. Well, her word from the Lord was, tell people about Jesus. And so she didn't grumble. She didn't complain. She didn't have a hard time with the fact that she didn't understand why God put her in that predicament. Her word from the Lord was, tell people about Jesus. So because she had to go in the nursing home, she concluded God's plan was then people in the nursing home need to hear about Jesus. And so that was her commitment. Every single nurse that came in there heard about Jesus. Every single visitor came, who came in her room heard about Jesus. There was people who walked by her room. She's a sweet 95-year-old lady and she says, hey, can you come here real quick, quick, quick? You're not going to um, say, no, I'm not going to come in your room. You're going to come in if a sweet 95-year-old lady says, come in my room. They heard about Jesus. I'm not just saying this. I, when I would go and visit, I watched it happen. The first time I went and visited her, seven years ago, before she knew I was the pastor of the church, she told me about Jesus. Her commitment was, to tell people about Jesus. That's what the Lord says. That's what scripture says. Even if it's difficult, even if it's hard, even if my life isn't what I thought it would be, this is the word God's given, so I've got to do it. And so she did it at every opportunity, right up until her last breath, she was telling people about Jesus. Hearing and doing is God's plan for your life. Otherwise, it has no bearing on your life at all. Hearing and doing has is God's plan for your life otherwise it has no bearing on your life at all and so God's plan for you is to hear his words all of his words all of his words all of them even the difficult ones you may try to skip over Romans 8 9 and 10 because it's hard to grasp or not dive into revelation because it's confusing and weird but it's all God's word and it's all meant to be applied And so God's plan for you is to hear those words. God's plan for you is to hear these words. Jesus, God's son, came and died so all your sins would be forgiven. And he rose from the dead so that you can live after you die. That's God's plan for you is to hear those words and believe in him and have his strength and peace and power as you walk through this broken and fallen world to have him guide you and lead you along in that process. So if you want to believe in that today, this is your opportunity. In just a minute, I'm going to pray. The music team's going to come, and they're going to lead us in another song. And we want you to come and believe in Jesus. Last week, I shared the gospel and prayed with a young girl right here on the front. If you need to come and believe in Jesus, you can do that. If you're watching online, or even if you're in the room, you can do this too. On our website, it's like the third or fourth little card there. It says, I made a decision. You click on that. You know, put in your your phone number or email and, and what the decision is and it comes right to my email as soon as you click submit it comes right to my email right here on my phone and I will call you this afternoon and we'll celebrate and we'll talk about that and what God has for you next what the next step is for you in that process so come and believe today that's God's plan for you and so you have to ask yourself the question looking at what Jesus is saying here Do you hear what God is saying to you today? Do you hear what God is saying? There's somebody in the room who God said something to yesterday, and you've been arguing with him about it since. Stop arguing with God. Stop arguing with God. Do it. Just do it. Follow the Lord and see what happens. Even step of faith, whatever it is, follow the Lord now. Do you hear what God is saying to you? Even if it's hard, like they're saying, it's a hard saying. Who can listen to this? Do you hear what he's saying, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult? Will you take that step of faith? Will you walk that road that he has for you here and now?